0: GM, let's go.
1: And make it 14 as he gets Anderson looking.
0: Jacob DeGrom ties his career high with 14 strikeouts. Antonio Slater here with another episode of the Amazing City podcast. This is episode six. I don't know. Last week, uh before we had our little interview with Corey, that this one that one was gonna be the last episode before opening day. Unfortunately, it was opening day for everyone but the Mets this weekend because of the little outbreak that happened for the Washington Nationals. I think as of right now, there's five positive tests. There's a bunch of more people you know, quarantined for contact tracing. So uh, it, it's a whole mess right th- over there in D.C. right now. So they have postponed the weekend series between the Mets and the Nationals. And now the Mets will not play until Monday at 7.05, where Jacob DeGrom will take the mound for the first time this year. And then we could finally get this ball rolling in terms of the 2021 season, where there's going to be surely a lot of exciting moments, there's going to be drama, there's going to be intensity, there's going to be a a whole, whole season of of excitement. And I'm just, I can't wait for it, but I'm going to try to keep this intro short and sweet because we have a very exciting guest here today. Uh, We've had a couple of guests already so far, and just already, this is our sixth episode we're having our third guest, so this has been a lot of fun and some very exciting stuff going on here. So make sure to follow the podcast at The Amazing City on Twitter. But that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking about me and, and what's going on here and get right to our guest. We have Justin Toscano. Mets beat writer for NorthJersey.com here on the show. He was very, very gracious, and I'm, I'm so thankful for him to take about 35, 40 minutes out of his very busy schedule to talk to me about some of the, the talking points with the Mets. You know, the Lindor extension, uh, what it's like covering a, a Steve Cohen-owned team, what's what it's like covering a team during COVID and so many more things with with the roster and the injuries on the team and where this team stacks up and, and just so much more. Like I said, it's about a 40 minute interview with Justin Toscano. So please give it a listen. I hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you guys next week where we can finally, hopefully, finally, finally, finally talk regular season New York Mets baseball. All right. So we are here with Justin Toscano, the Mets beat writer for NorthJersey.com. Justin, how you doing?
1: Hey, how's it going, man? It's good to to be here. Um, I guess I was going to say I was excited for opening day, but we know that's not happening now. But thanks for having me anyways. Yeah, man. (laughs) Like I just said to you before we started recording, uh, thank you for coming
0: on here. Really wish we were watching some Mets baseball or had some opening day thoughts to talk about, but obviously with the Nationals' COVID concerns and the little outbreak, if you want to call it that, uh, give
1: a little update as to what exactly is going on. Yeah, so the Nationals, um, on a test conducted Monday uh, before they had left Florida for, you know, back to D.C., they got a positive on one of those tests. So immediately they were going to be missing one player and uh, five other people the organization, um, just based on close contacts. They've gotten a couple of, you know, a few more positives since then. So MLB about, um, ten, you know, eight, nine hours before the opening day game postponed that. Uh, in the original plan, um, what I was hearing was that it, you know, things were looking pretty good for Saturday. Um, And then the additional positives rolled in after Lindor and Rojas spoke yesterday. Um, And then by today, Friday, you know, afternoon MLB announced that, you know, it was just, just a no-go. They were going to postpone it. So now the Mets are actually going to stay in DC. They considered going back to New York um, or going to Philly, but the issue with Philly would have been that the Phillies are obviously playing there. So they wouldn't have had a field to work out on. So they're actually staying in DC for a couple of days, for Saturday, um, they worked out here. They worked out Thursday, so opening day. Friday, today, uh, they'll work out Saturday, and then they'll work out Sunday. And after that Sunday morning workout, they'll they'll head to Philly. So it's actually um, – they're still trying to stay loose, but but that's kind of the the biggest change. And I guess um, there haven't been any major changes to the schedule yet, so opening day will just, uh, you know, in, in air quotes, will just be for them Monday um, in Philly at 7.05. All right, so uh, it'll
0: so be Degrom on Monday, obviously, and then I believe a couple people, including yourself, said that Taiwan Walker will be starting the home opener. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be uh, the way they line it up is Degrom, Stroman, um, Peterson for those three Philly games. Walker for the home opener. Now, uh, the Mets originally had planned to use Degrom twice. They'd planned to pitch him the the fifth game instead of you know on his his you know, going five starters, Uh, they can actually still do that because there's, you know, another off day here. So right after that home opener, there's another off day on Friday. So they could actually do that. But Rojas said that, um, you know, they're not they're not there yet. They they have to check with Jake and they have to work some things out uh, to see if he'll be able to pitch regular rest there. But, you know, unless something weird happens, I would say, that would probably be the case that they would go to DeGrom, but that that's not, that's not official yet. And then after that, obviously, uh, you know, going to, eventually they'll have the fifth starter spot, whenever they want to work that in. And that'll be, you know, an opener, Lucchese, um, whatever is going with that. But yeah, the first four, DeGrom, Stroman, Peterson, and then uh, Walker. All
0: right. Fantastic. Uh, so good updates there by you, Justin. So now let's get into the big news that happened over the past uh couple of days or so and that is the extension with francisco lindor the 10 years 341 million dollars it looked all off season like this was inevitability but then at some point it looked like it was all but dead and then around 11 30 at, at night the news broke so what happened here who caved was it a a, a mutual thing what exactly happened to get the extension
1: done yeah, so it was obviously like you said, I mean, I think the biggest point is that it, it looked like pretty much a certainty when you trade for a guy like that and give up that kind of package. Now the Mets were were pretty coy, you know, and only saying that they were optimistic they could re-sign him, you know, at the time. But you knew it was like a thing where the optics would have been very bad if they didn't, you know, sign him long term. So it looked like a certainty. and then somewhere along the line, you know, it looked encouraging as Steve Cohen bantered with fans on Twitter, it looked encouraging as they had dinner um in Florida last Saturday night. Now it's yeah, last Saturday night, so six days ago. Um, and then somewhere along the line, uh, the first I heard this was was Wednesday that I was hearing. um so about twelve hours before the news broke, I had heard that there were no, you know, there was no movement on talks. Um, and that, you know, at that point, I, I, you know, I checked up, followed up again. And at that point, the offer of 10 years and $325 million was considered the Mets' best and final offer. So, you know, even when I reported that, though, I mean, as, as a human being, I mean, logic says, okay, is somebody going to turn down 325 And on the other side, are the Mets not going to just give this guy a, a little more, even if there's some, you know, because there could be some deferrals um, and we'll get into that. But So it seemed like, you know, these things can change with one call. So it's almost like it was almost like they were at an impasse, but that almost might be too aggressive of a term just because these things can change with one call. So, yeah, obviously they did. Obviously, the sides started talking Um, in terms of caving. I I don't know if anybody caved. I think it was just look, both sides had something to gain for the Mets. They had given up a package um, worthy of extending him. Uh, you know, in that trade that, that would signify that their plans were to extend him. And, you know, these a star shortstop, that's a premium position. Um, you know, you need a guy like that as a face of the franchise building block for the future. And um, on Lindor's side, I mean, you know, he's, you know, felt he was worth more than $325 million, But on the other hand of things, you've got Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, you know, Corey Seager, perhaps all free agents by next winter. So, you know, like he would have been hedging a pretty big bet on himself had he not taken the 325 even, Um, you know, because if he gets injured, if he has another mediocre season like he did in the short in 2020, granted that was an issue for a lot of players in 2020, but there was risk on his side as well. So I think both sides there was really no reason for this to not get done. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and the one thing that I find interesting in all this is the exact number that it is. It's the three hundred and forty one one million dollar more than what Fernando Tatis got to be the highest contract right. for a shortstop in MLB history. Do you know if that played a factor in this at all?
1: I mean, Francisco Lindor, you know, on Thursday, so yesterday, said that um, you know was was kind of kind of smiled at those questions and didn't really address them head on but yeah I mean I think we can all read in between the lines and and say you know this was a job on his agent's part and and his you know to make his guy the uh, highest paid shortstop in league history because it you know I mean 341 is pretty specific especially when the years did not change so um, yeah when when a guy goes out and gets 340 a few weeks before and then you're getting 340 I think we uh, we all read <laughs> in between the lines there yeah
0: yeah it doesn't take a it doesn't take a whole lot of rocket science to really decipher no. what really went on there and to see right maybe there was a right. bit of a magic number in there uh exactly. so th- the next thing that i really want to Really want to see what your your thoughts are here is you talk a little bit. It's Steve Cohen. This is his first big move. It's his first big you know, star that he can attach to his name. And like you say, he's bantering with uh, bantering with fans and myself included. My my tweet ended up going all over Mets Twitter with how much you want to bet. So that kind of changed my day recently. And so I'm just kind of curious, what's it like covering a team that's owned by Steve Cohen? yeah that's interesting
1: uh definitely like tweet notifications for all of his tweets which like when i was in journalism school even god i mean i only graduated three years ago now so i was Mm -hmm. like yeah may it'll be three years holy smokes anyways i only graduated (laughs) three years ago but like you just don't think about having to monitor somebody's twitter all the time like i guess i did in college for like recruits and stuff um but that's just a completely different thing when it comes to an owner it's a completely different ball game because you can maybe pick a couple on a hand. And like the only one I would say with a comparable social media presence is like maybe Mark Cuban, but he's not so much dad jokes as like Steve Cohen is. So like what it's almost in like, you can't really read into the banter too much, but it's almost something you have to follow because it does interest fans. It's, you know, surrounds the team. Um, And when he's talking about a dinner that he had with a player, uh, you know it becomes kind of newsworthy in that sense so it's like it's definitely a different vibe but in terms of um the actual baseball part of Steve Cohen i think it's it's really interesting because you have this guy who was a Mets fan and he's played the card of you know I'm one of you guys I'm one of the fans all right like he's not you know he's worth 16 billion he's obviously richer than the, the ca- you know the casual fan he's going to run it like a business but on the other hand of that he has taken strides for this organization um, because he owns Point 0.72. Like the Mets now have a huge team of data engineers from that company that they're using. Um, they've, exp- you know, bolstered their analytics department. Uh, so even behind the scenes, Steve Cohen has shown that he's done the research and does care enough about the sustainability um, and the long-term future of this organization uh, to do these things, to make it a perennial contender. But as, as good as those improvements are, and as necessary as they are, they might matter more than like the on-field stuff. But, um, you know, he wasn't gonna, this is really the splash he needed to to kind of put his name there, you know, in terms of kind of like put his money where his mouth is in, in a sense. And like, you know, you come in November, you talk about wanting to make this play, you know, this team a contender, you talk about to fans about making this team one that actually acts like a big market team now. Um, and then you go out and get a deal like this done. I think that's huge because especially with, you know, some of what was made of the stalemate they were in. Again, that's a little bit of an aggressive term for that because I think a deal was going to get done, you know, regardless. But, um, you know, you have your, your back against the wall in, in that sense. And uh, he really put his money where his mouth is and was willing to pay a star player, which – if you think about going down the road is just going to create more goodwill for other, you know, other players in the organization and outside of the organization, because they see that this owner wants to win. He cares. He's engaging with the fans, with players. Um, And I think that's really cool. so back to your question, like covering the team, it's just, uh, it's completely different than what I would imagine being on another beat would be like, because it's just like, the owner is not micromanaging the baseball people, but he's so involved in the sense of like, Steve Cohen is part of the Mets now. He's, you know, the Mets aren't just a team with an owner at the top. You know, you, you know who the owner is, and that's uh, that's something you can't say for like every team.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's a bit more of a. A different vibe as a Mets fan now because how often do even as like a casual fan I think casual fans know the name Steve Cohen whereas you go to sure. other teams other fan bases I don't think you really they, they probably don't know the name of their owner here they're on Twitter right. like like you said he can interact with the fans on there he's talking about dinners he's crowdsourcing offers he's he's doing a lot of different things as a as an owner than you see in, in most other markets it's it's been a very interesting ride so far uh, since since he kind of bought the team back in November. but right. I mean he's proving that like you said, he is kind of one of us as a Mets fan. he just you know has more money than God. so he's it's uh, right. it's it's really cool to see what he's been doing. he's improving the team improving the analytics like you said. Uh, I, I'm very interested because you put out a piece recently about how he's using his his 0 point 72 to increase the data analytics. Can you go a little bit more into that?
1: yeah yeah so um basically first before you interpret those analytics you need the data there's so much data in baseball from you know not only pitch data but but to biomechanical things injuries all all that stuff um and like the more forward-thinking organizations i'm trying to put this in a casual way for casual people listening the more forward-thinking organizations are the ones that can not only gather this data but interpret it and so by Having a powerful team of data engineers that are—it's literally .72 employees. So there's crossover between Mets and .72 employees now, um, and really, so the Mets have access to this large data engineering team. And as Zach Scott described it to me, you know, for that story, um, the acting general manager, he said that that was going to to help the Mets really build a good data infrastructure in terms of being able to get all this stuff, which also helps because they've you know, more than, you know, about tripled the, um, their full timers in the baseball analytics department alone from, from a year ago. So that is really going to help that they have this, this data infrastructure, because then that really allows, um, from what I've been told, the baseball systems people, which is its own department, uh, more of the guys who, you know, set up cameras, the hardware software people, um, uh, allows them to, to focus on that and not really have to to focus on the data as much. And so, The biggest thing with this is um, the bigger picture casually is that I'm trying to speak English and put this in in English um, instead of French. But the bigger picture is that forward thinking organizations are not only good at um, having a lot of this data, but knowing how to interpret it. And now the Mets, who have really been in the dark ages of this stuff uh, ever since the analytical revolution began in baseball, are much more equipped to go forward with the ever-changing constant current of this analytical data-driven time in the game and so this really makes them uh, a player um, for kind of this information loop you know Zach Scott described as a feedback loop the point is to get the data and be able to turn it around and have real-time turnaround or close to it to get it to the decision makers whether that's you know the GM people on the baseball ops other people on the baseball ops team you know or even the coaching staff um, and so having more, not only more manpower in general, but the technological might of point 72 is an advantage that there that, you know, no, not a lot of other teams, you know, have.
0: Yeah. And I definitely think you can kind of already see that really working because in, in the past couple of decades with the with the previous ownership, you would never hear the Mets connected to a player like a Trevor Bauer, who is so analytically driven and he even stated like right. i need a team that uses analytics and really can decipher and use that that information previously that's not the mets they've been living in the stone age for the past couple of decades and now as soon as cohen comes over with the improved analytics and the real emphasis in, in that department we're you know called the front runners until he ended up deciding to go to the dodgers in the eleventh hour uh so i think that's that's something that's already kind of showing to be working in in the the way he intended to uh but one more thing i want to talk about how covering a team is like what is it like covering a team amidst a a global pandemic that no one saw coming and and that it's just it keeps going on what's it like covering a team with COVID going on
1: yeah it's a good question i feel like i'm asked that question every time i go onto a podcast and i don't think like even after a year i don't think my answer is like good i because i just like it's so weird because I think the best part for me is, you know, telling stories. Like I don't, I don't get the same thrill out of injury updates and little newsy items. as I do like telling stories and getting to like tell fans who these guys, you know, who the guys you're rooting for, like are as people, what they like to do, how, you know, they relate to regular people like us. Um, And so that's a lot harder in the zoom era because you're not getting like the one-on-one time you would in a clubhouse. um, And, you know, in the clubhouse, you can just go approach guys, they may not want to talk, they may tell you kind of the, you know, they might just flake on you a little bit, but um, at times, you know, because they get busy, but at least you have the opportunity to go up to them and, and kind of show face and talk a lot about these things. And so for me personally it's been tougher to get the depth on stories that I would want because in the clubhouse, you can go up to players. You can go up to five guys in a day if you wanted to and ask them all different questions for this one story you're doing. But in the COVID era, it's just a lot more phone calls, um, which I find for some reason, I find those to be more time consuming, uh, because you've got to do them all around like the zooms for the team. And then it's like, so getting the depth on stories that I want is a lot easier in the clubhouse. And for me, like I've just had to find ways to adapt and, you know, we're not in the clubhouse. So I use some of that time to call different people or like do, you know, if, whether it's a former coach or like a former mentor of some whatever it may be, like just different people for stories I need. But I do miss the interaction in person in the clubhouse where you can read body language, you can read um, facial expressions, uh, you can have a little you know more of these more personal conversations and even if it's not for a story just personal conversations about like you know how somebody's doing or like how how their family is or just um and for me personally like i feel like like i've always tried to learn baseball because it doesn't come as naturally to me as like football and and basketball mm-hmm. did you know like as a kid like i you know i know a lot about baseball but it's just like there's so many intricacies in the game i feel like that in other sports that i Personally, like I like to ask players like certain things, not even for stories, but just for my own, like, so I know what they're thinking or like, you know, what, what I can learn from, you know, for example, like I asked Rick Porcello, like what he meant when he said X or something like, and he gave me a great explanation. I forgot exactly what the question was, but it was Mm -hmm. just things like that that I I do miss because not only do you get better depth on stories and better stories in general from the clubhouse, um, or at least that's been my experience, but you get to um, for me, like just constantly learn about, about different things. And even if you're not recording a conversation, like it's still a good learning opportunity and, and a chance to get to know the game a little better from, from guys who play it and spend so much time in it.
0: Yeah. That's it's, I can only imagine what it's like having your job right now with everything going on. It's, it seems like things are changing by the day. It's with everything going on. It's truly right. wild. So it, it's it really cool to, you know, hear what you're saying there about how you can read you want to read more of the, the body language, not just read more about the answers. And it's funny right. that you brought up Rick porcel That's that's my guy right there. Uh he actually went to the same high school as me. So really? that's my boy. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was really cool nice. seeing him on the Mets last year. Yeah. Uh, I
1: think um yeah, no, he was always good. I, I, I do feel bad. He was a good one that I wish we got a full year of like the clubhouse because he was very insightful. And I think Now that I'm thinking back on it, um, God, not to cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine now. Uh, now that I'm thinking back, I think I asked him what it meant. Cause like when he, he would always say, you know, I was falling off a little bit and I would just like, I just asked, I was like, what does that look like for you? And like, how do you fit? Like, how does that matter? And things like that. Cause it's like, I didn't pitch at a level that he did. So he, and he actually went through it. He like took the time to stand up and, you know, talk to me for a couple minutes and like, just go through the whole thing. And like, to this day, I just remember like, um, you know, I was I was very grateful because it really taught me something and things to look for in pitchers. And he was always, you know, really he was really insightful during that spring training. Uh, so, yeah, I wish we had more of him. He's a good guy. Yeah, he was
0: always, especially the past couple of years, he's not throwing 98, 99. So he was wow. one of, he he relied on his mechanics a lot. So he got very technical with this stuff. So you would always hear when right. he didn't have a good performance. It was all, you know, based on like you're saying, he's falling off. He's open in front side. He, he got very technical and mechanical with it. And even exactly. pete alonzo said that he wanted to come back so i i'm still hoping for it but we'll see what it what end up ends up happening i'm surprised he hasn't gotten scooped up by someone um but yeah let, let's talk a little bit more on the active roster here was there anyone that really surprised you in terms of who didn't make the team who made the team like the one that i sent you was lucchese over yamamoto as the the quote-unquote fifth starter i thought me personally that's who should have gotten that first spot in it but they went with lucchese so was there anyone that really surprised you and the decisions behind that
1: let me think um actually i was let's see yeah yeah i was surprised um i thought see i thought lucchese should have good that's probably how i would have drawn it up entering camp is lucchese getting it i know i know some people you know yourself disagree and i, I get that it, it was it was a close seemed like a close competition um for everything i heard um but yeah, the one that really surprised me was Sam McWilliams. Like, how early he was he was reassigned. Like, I know he's a guy who needs some seasoning, but um, that's a guy who's been, like, a career minor leaguer, and the team mm. gave him a major league deal, and it that's seemed true. like he had electric stuff. And so I think my surprise more came from the fact that he didn't hang in the competition longer, um, mm. honestly, than uh, – but I guess, you know, that might have been me, and I just – you know, I saw they gave him a major league deal, and I was just like, like – I expected him to be there a little bit longer um, and then surprising in a good way, like Jacob Barnes, like you got a veteran guy like that. Usually when veteran guys like that come in, um, not heralded, you know, they just like not a lot of headlines. You don't know what to expect from them. Um, and then he goes out like he does, you know, has a great camp, uh, finds a little role as you know, they see for him, you know, as the opener As you I guess we think, you know, they tested it out with him and, could happen in the season too. I think that was a, a pleasant surprise to see a guy like that who, you know, who still, he comes over from the Angels and, and his first conversation with Jeremy Hefner, like Hefner's telling him about just different things he sees, like, why'd you do this? Like, why have you never done this in your career? And, and just like really cool things that helped get him on the right track um, and, and make the team. I think that was a really cool story.
0: Yeah, I think if, if I had to kind of draw how I thought the bullpen would have gone, I think I probably would have had Mick Williams in Jacob Barnes spot for the mere fact of, like you said, the game him a major league deal pretty much as soon as the offseason started. It was one of the first signings that happened.
1: So yeah, I thought
0: was... I, I kind of figured he'd be in the, in the bullpen at come opening day, but they reassigned him very early. And Jacob Barnes as someone who I pretty much wrote off instantly. He had a phenomenal camp, like you said, and he deserved that spot. So I we'll, we'll have to see how he does as the opener.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on McWilliams though, man. Like, especially what, what we heard about his stuff and like the, you know, 96 that could maybe creep up as as he got more into it um, and ramped up more and just like, yeah, you give a guy like that a major league deal. He seemed like to me the perfect opener, like kind of a high velocity guy Absolutely. who could like, you know, who had, who had electric stuff and profiles actually more as a starter, you know, at the minor league level, but you could use in your bullpen to, uh, to get a few of those key outs at the beginning of the game. And yeah, I was, I was surprised about that, but it's, it's definitely something where maybe he just, you know, he obviously needs maybe some seasoning and they, they felt that clearly. Um, But yeah, good for Jacob Barnes. I mean, he had just a a better camp than I ever envisioned. And it's so hard when you come in as one of those relievers who doesn't have, you know, a major league deal and and doesn't really like have, you know, any guarantee to a spot like that. Um, That's a tough spot to be in, man, especially like, all those guys fighting for it. When Seth Lugo comes out, goes out and uh, yeah, props to him. It's, it's going to be really interesting and fun to see what he does.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it was, it was a fun, fun little story to follow with him and, and the other bullpen arms that, because a bit of a competition there between like six or seven guys for maybe two or three spots. Uh, another one with Lugo going down, which kind of helps us transition right into our next part with the injuries with the team. Uh, Lugo is right. going to be down for a little bit. Cinder is probably not going to be back until June. Uh, there's a very good update about Carrasco today. Looking at he's he's uh, healing very well and maybe even a little bit ahead of schedule. But how do you think this seems going to hold up without the, those guys, uh, the Carrasco, Syndergaard, and Lugo?
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough. Like I think they have built better depth, but I think when you pro, you know, like you projected the rotation, it's like you've got the best part was that you had Degrom, Stroman, and Carrasco up there at the top, and and now without Carrasco. You know, you're they're really putting a lot of faith in Taiwan Walker, David Peterson and Joey Lucchese. And to the point where, like, I think people overreacted when they released the rotation. You know, it's it's not a bad rotation at all by any stretch like this. With that rotation, this team could still win a could still make the playoffs um, like in a, in a normal year. Then now it's a tough division. You know, I, I get that. But it's it's not a bad rotation. But then when you consider Seth Lugo being out, I think to me, like the bullpen, Coming into camp, um, the really the storyline that did hold was that the bullpen to me seems like the highest risk group, um, highest reward too. You know, like but you've got two question marks in there, and Jerry's Familia and Dell and Batanzas and like as of now, you don't really know what you're getting from them. Um, so having Seth Lugo out is a big bummer for the Mets, just because it's like that's your one reliable guy that not not only is reliable but as a bulldog and can go multiple innings um, can pitch multiple innings for you there. Uh, uh, so, I mean, in terms of the injuries, I think the key guys are going to be, you know, Taiwan Walker and David Peterson because David Peterson had a great rookie season. Um, can he build off that Taiwan Walker? Can he build off of a good, you know, 2020 season? Um, and then Edwin Diaz, like if that's the same lights out Diaz, you know, this Mets team can score enough. They're probably going to score enough runs and be able to get it to the ninth um, or somewhere around the ninth to those key outs with a lead. If Edwin Diaz is lights out like he was in camp and was for most of 2020, I mean, I think um, I think they should be fine. But man, if you start considering, you know, if Taiwan Walker, you know, doesn't start well, you know, Joey Lucchesi doesn't start well, then you you start having question marks in the bullpen. You know, if if Miguel Castro doesn't pitch as well as he did this spring, then it starts to get a little funky, but overall, I think this team um, certainly has enough to withstand that, especially when you look at like this first half, they'll be playing Colorado. Uh, They'll be playing Chicago. So they've got some opponents that are out of the division. That should be actually a break from some of the opponents in the division. Um, and so I think they should be able to withstand it. They've got some good depth and it's a really talented roster, but I mean, we saw what happened last year when injuries start to pile up. It like really, it really actually tests your depth. So we don't know what's going to happen until they really actually face some adversity.
0: Yeah, the, the depth is going to be such a big part of this team this year. They definitely added more than they had in the past couple of years, but it's going to be a, a true test once they finally hit the field. And with COVID, you never know what's going to happen. All it takes is, is one test for three or four guys to be out. But I I really think the injury to Lugo is much more significant than the injuries to Carrasco and Syndergaard. Cause with, with the injury to Carrasco, I think they have enough to kind of withstand with a couple of turns of the rotation and the off days could help, you know, get the Grom out there every, every fifth game. But, Lugo kind of takes the pressure off of so many other people because now, because he could go multiple innings, he's, he, you make it easier for, you know, Tywin Walker can only go five. He can you go right to Lugo for the sixth and seventh. It's going to take pressure off of Patantis and Familia because they're not going to get those high leverage innings. And it's going to take more pressure off of Diaz because he doesn't have to be lights out every single time. But so th- I think the injury to Lugo is much more significant, Uh, but I still think this team has enough to be, competitive at a very high level until they can come back but now I'm curious to see what you say here I have the Mets as as the best team in the NL East and right up there with the top dogs in in the National League where do you think this team can compare in terms of the Dodgers and the
1: Padres yeah that's an interesting question I've got them winning the NL East. Um, I don't know if that's just me being overly optimistic there, but I I think this is a really good team. And like, you look up and down the lineup. I mean, like this team might have a better lineup than the Padres. I mean, I know that Padres lineup gets a lot of credit, but like outside of Tatis Machado and, um, you know, a couple others, like, I think this lineup top to bottom could be, could vie for the second best in, in the NL for sure. Um, the pitching, it's going to be interesting because San Diego really upgraded its rotation over the offseason. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, how the Mets rotation fares. I personally, like, if we're looking bigger picture, I've got them right up there, like, with the the Padres. Like, I think everybody in terms of talent and depth is a step behind the Dodgers. Um, but I've got the – my next tier is the, the Padres and the Mets, and then I've got, like, the Braves after them. Like, I, I think the Mets – I think this Mets team is better than the Braves. And like, I, maybe I'll be proven wrong about that. But for me, like, I think they're going to be better than the Braves. And I, so I see the Mets and the Padres kind of vying there. And um, like, I would not be surprised if the Dodgers, the Padres and the Mets are all, you know, making deep, deep October runs and and scrapping against each other to make those um, because that's, that's what I really do. feel. I do feel that with Lindor, and and even McCann is like, look, that McCann signing, like, say what you want about the money he got, and then what they offered, but whatever you want to like. I know people criticize that, but that's a guy that makes you better on both sides. I mean, he's a guy who could who's probably going to keep hitting, you know, the way he has or similar, like who seemed to figure something out. But it's a guy who is just so much better than Wilson Ramos defensively, and it's just really it's really not close. Um, so I think with those two sides, like this roster took this roster to that elite level in the NL, in my opinion. And I think they're right there with the Padres. Like I, I see the Padres, they have good rotation, good pitching staff, but I think the Mets have about as good of like a one through, you know, eight lineup as you can have. I mean, personally, like, and that's just my read on, on the situation. I could be wrong. Injuries could happen, But I think um, everybody's a step behind the Dodgers. But I do think the Mets and the Padres are right there and kind of that second tier. And the Braves are there, too. But I just think that both of those teams are better than the Braves and the Nationals right now. Um, And yeah, it'll it'll be interesting, though, because it's like like we kind of mentioned earlier, um, the Padres are in the same boat. But the Mets are in this boat where you're playing in such a tough division and it's like, you know, it's going to be tough to get those wild card spots because you figure the Padres are going to get one because the Dodgers, you know, they've got the Dodgers right in their division. So it's like you've got the Mets and then the Braves look good and like Brandon Nimmo said, they're probably pissed off that everybody's picking the, you know, a lot of people are picking the Mets to win the division after the good years the Braves have had. The Marlins don't even look to be that much of a pushover. Uh the Phillies the Phillies look like they were going to have a disastrous offseason, but I thought they salvaged that as best as they could. Um, and so they they actually don't look too bad. And then of course you have the Nationals. So I think they've got a lineup um, you know, full of some lefties that's really gonna do a lot of damage. And so you just look at it and you're like, man, it's like you think the I think the Mets could make a deep October run, but like, can they survive their own division? Like that's gonna to be tough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is I think it's it doesn't even go without asking. This is the toughest division in baseball. You got five teams that at any given day can, can beat one another. So it's going to be a very competitive race. I, I still think it's a two team race between the Braves and the Mets to take the NL East. Uh, and I'm right there with you. I have the Mets winning the division. Uh, I, I mean, anyone that knows me knows I'm a rather big optimist when it comes to the Mets. Uh, in my predictions, <laughs> I have them winning 100 games. So we'll have to see if that comes true. Uh, yeah. I had, be,
1: I, had ni- I had
0: 98,
1: so I might be wrong too.
0: Hey, you know what? We're, we're right there with each other then. So that's, we're, we're very high on this team. I think of course, barring health, this team can can take make a, a very deep run to the postseason, and they are right there with the other teams. I, of course the Dodgers are the best team and, and the Poggers made some great improvements, but in terms of everyone else, I just feel like the Mets are top to bottom are a very well-rounded group and they don't have as many question marks as, as, as other teams, the lineup is better, the rotation could be better when there's when everyone's healthy. The bullpen is a question mark, but like you said, there's it's such a high risk, high reward group. When that when those guys are on, it's going to be tough to beat this team. So that's why I have them right up there with the Padres and in terms of where they rank in in, in the National League. And, and now right. just, I have one more, <clears throat> excuse me. I have one more question just to, just to close this off. And I feel like this is something that no one's really talking about. And that's with the Mets manager, uh, Luis Rojas signed a two year deal last year. So this is going into his final year. We all have very high expectations for this team, but God forbid this team goes off to a slow start. Has there been any talks about Rojas being on a potential short
1: leash? No, not that I've heard. I think they're going to, I mean, that stuff usually gets resolved and then we'll see about it, but it, um, I, I think everybody in the organization is very complimentary of Luis Rojas. And I think like now, of course, we've seen it all through baseball history, like especially the past 20 years, when you've got a good roster that underperforms and it might not be your fault, like that leash gets a lot shorter. Uh, so we don't know what's going to happen if that happens. But everybody's been complimentary of Luis Rojas in terms of the way he runs a team, the way he treats players, the way he can connect with players is so much what I've heard night and day from just like Mickey Calloway, mm-hmm. um, just because the players do have this respect for Rojas because he climbed the ranks because he managed um, the minors because he managed winter ball every off season, you know, for a stretch of his time there, you know, because he's this guy who went to the major league staff, took the quality control position, you know, educated himself on analytics, helped relay it to the players because he's been around. Um, so he's got such a big respect factor around him. And I think 2020 was such a weird season that you can't really like, give a guy like I mean that that shouldn't be a knock I think I thought he did the best job he could have and granted like you know personally like I, I like i I like the guy I think he's a very i think he's accountable. I think he's knowledgeable. I think he you know he's very he treats the players um you know like like a manager should and I think that all that stuff is cliche though and it's just but I do think his baseball acumen is better than you're gonna find in in almost anybody that's going for that position at, at his age because it's like he's such a young manager but on the other hand he's got all these years of experience he grew up in a baseball family and I think um yeah I haven't heard any talks about uh you know a short leash but of course you know we we don't know what happens if disaster ensues or you know expectations aren't met you know that'll be so the story there could change but uh yeah I think I would be pretty comfortable saying you know Luis Rojas would would be here you know past this year.
0: Yeah, I, I as just, of now. Yeah, I just think it with all the expectation around this team. I like mean, we just said we're we're ninety eight and one hundred wins respectively for this team. We're talking about how they can make a deep run and potential uh, uh, NLCS series. So I just think it'll be interesting to see if you know around the 50 game mark if they're hovering around 500 maybe the 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 tune of what people think about Luis Rojas is going to change but ultimately I I think with the roster that they've constructed for him it's going to be a lot easier for him like you said last year was a disaster for everyone so it's kind of a wash it's it's tough to hold 2020 against anyone and to make it his first year as a manager it's really hard to hold that against him so ultimately this team is going to have a good year they'll probably extend him because of of the performance that's going to happen with the players. And like you said, it seems like all the players really like him. Pete Alonzo has raved about this guy. So it Jeff McNeil uh, among others. And it, this is, this, this team clearly likes for him, likes him, plays for him hard. So we'll see what happens. I just, I haven't seen anything talks uh, like talked about that at all. So I was just wondering what someone on the inside had, had heard about that at all. So uh, it looks like he's going to be here for a while though.
1: Right. Yeah. As of now, if I were a betting man, I would say he gets extended just because I think when you're, when you're upper management, um, Sandy Alderson is Zach Scott type. Uh, the one thing you look at is, is obviously like it's buying, you know, you've got these players, um, some of them here longer than others. But I think you look at if you were to let this guy go, even mm-hmm. if disaster ensued you're going to need to find somebody who these players like a lot because they, they love Luis Rojas. And they're, you know, they're not just saying that like raving about him publicly. They, they, they really like him, really respect him, really feel that he's best for the direction of this team. um And so that's why I just feel like, like I said, if I were a betting, man, yeah, you know, he gets extended. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's all I really had for you. uh Any final cool. thoughts that you have before I let you go?
1: No. Yeah. Just, I, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Just can't wait for this to, to get going opening oh, opening day and air quotes on Monday and yeah, it should, should be a, should be a fun season, but let's just hope. Uh, yeah. Let's hope we're past the, the COVID craziness.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that's definitely at the COVID craziness. We just got to hope everything gets figured out and hopefully by right. Monday, we're talking about how this team can, can win another opening day. Like you said, in uh in air quotes, but that's all I have. Oh, man. Uh, your, your Twitter is just your, just your name, right? Is it at Justin Toscano?
1: Yeah, but it's uh, with a C in the middle of both of my names for my middle name. So, yep. it's just my name with the C in the middle. Fantastic. So go follow him at Justin C.
0: Toscano, man. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. We're definitely going to have to have you back on here. Uh,
1: thank you again. Yeah. 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 Any, anytime you need to be always happy to talk some baseball.
0: All right. Great. Thank you, man.